0: Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I look at the week's financial news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course. And I hope to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a week. What a show. It's hot water season here in Dallas, Texas, as the temperatures have dropped below 70 degrees. So get those fleeces out, curl up to a hot water and lemon, and enjoy Some financial truths. This week's show, UBS, the bank, is going to give us a jolt of optimism on investing that compares Clinton-era-like bustling of the 1990s with today. We see if we should take the bait. We then look at the demise of a beloved budgeting app, Mint. That's right. The budgeting app, Mint, went away. We look at why that was, how effective it was for the customer, and what alternatives could be best for you. We then dig into the SECURE 2.0 Act. I'm sure all of you have already done this review for for most of you. For those of you who didn't dig through that Act, Congress passed, we see a provision that could be of interest related to 529 plans and Roth IRAs. And then if I am efficient with my time and I don't say as many jokes... We will step into Robert's Corner, where I will analogize the refrigerator market today and investing. So, at the top, we've got ourselves a UBS prediction. Headline here, forget the gloom of the 1970s, UBS thinks the U.S. economy is headed back to a Clinton-like era of the bustling 1990s. Now, some of my listeners are young enough to forget what the 1990s was like or who this Clinton-type figure was. This was a president, Mr. Bill Clinton. In the 1990s was a period of economic growth, with the capstone being a chart, I recall, on the White House lawn showing the deficit being eliminated because of these incredible tax revenues coming into the coffers of the Treasury because of how wonderful the economy was. And the stock market was booming based on the tech optimism. So what is going on here? Because I remember... This bank and many others saying, "Yeah, maybe not." In fact, this article, which is syndicated to a whole host of folks, is this, I believe a CNBC, but it was sent around to plenty of other folks. In this article, it says Deutsche Bank believes the U.S. economy actually closely resembles the turbulent time of the nineteen seventies. Ooh, an outlook prompted by the war in Israel, ore shocks, oil shocks, and rampant inflation huh, these two banks, a lot of intelligent folks, certainly plenty of Aggie undergrads in there making these predictions, and yet they can't come to the same conclusion. Hmm. Meanwhile, economists at the White House say the inflationary period after World War II acts as a better guide because pinup up demand from the pandemic will eventually fade away. UBS disagrees with both. The article goes on and says, the 1990s is the close resembler of this time because we have opportunities ahead like they had and and it wouldn't be a complete suite of predictions without someone at UBS saying well it also could be the 1920s another roaring 20s so many of my listeners don't recall the roaring 20s but the roaring 20s were a period of incredible economic boom in this country that occurred just prior to the Great Depression so What are we to believe? We have all these banks and all these different things. And what I wanted to point out is just the optimism. So this week, if you followed the stock market at all, hope you didn't. But if you did, if you're human, you looked up and you thought, oh, wow, we had some good days in the stock market for this week. So much so that it almost felt like we were out of the woods. Stock market's up 3.36% on the week, the American stock market. For my international friends, international stock market's up 3.09%. So that's kind of a big week as far as stock market goes. Previous to the stock market increase, I I recall a bunch of articles saying, hey, this thing's tough, tough deal. Get your money out. So when you see these articles come out now, they seem to mirror the stock market doing well. So be careful. This article came out Tuesday, November 14th. 2023, wouldn't shock me if you continue to see a deluge of articles like this. For those of you who are fully invested, as you should be, and not playing around with dollar-cost averaging or keeping cash on the sidelines, you see why it's such a hard program to move in and out of the market? It's tough. It's tough, tough, tough. So be willing to stay in the market. Don't hop around. Who knows if UBS is right? UBS doesn't even know if they're right. Neither does Deutsche Bank. They all believe different things. That's what makes up a market, buyers and sellers. If it was obvious, you'd simply buy when it was obvious to buy and sell when it was obvious to sell. But that's not how markets work. A lot of market participants, for every buyer, there's a seller. One of my favorite ways to think about cash on the sidelines. Imagine there was $100 billion in cash on the sidelines, ready to invest in the market. How much cash would be on the sidelines after that cash was deployed? That's right, the exact same amount, because for every buyer, there's a seller. If $100 billion came into the stock market, who, how's it, where's it going? Someone had to sell and receive cash themselves for those securities. So we don't need to worry about cash on the sideline. No, no, no. Just stay fully invested for the long haul. Fully invested for the long haul. And then our next article is by Imani Moise. This is a November 15th Wall Street Journal article headlined, There's a reason a killer money-saving app still doesn't exist. Which, of course, I disagree with. They should have said maybe a free one. So, big times right now, Intuit shuts the budgeting app Mint down, the article says, on January 1, which will join a packed graveyard of startups that tried and failed to cash in on financial responsibility. This article says the problem with budgeting apps, it turns out, is that few people really want help with their budgets, and even fewer are willing to pay for it. Now, that I agree with. Um, and then goes on to list the, a graveyard of attempts to create a budget app that people will look at I the then gives these examples of various Mint users and why it was so hard for them to make money so the way, the way Mint worked which is always a little paradoxical but they got to make money was free quote unquote to you the user I've used it before I liked the software I thought it did a good job aggregating expenses and organizing them but it cost money to do that aggregation to pull the data from the banks Cost costs money. And so you needed to actually sign up for credit cards and other financial products, but primarily credit cards, ironically, to help Mint, this Mint app, fund their operation. Well, what happened? It gives a couple bios of customers. And the customer said, here's one quote, we just have one credit card and we're not interested in opening a bunch of other ones. So I just ignore the ads, Luck said. So... I thought it was a great program, but let's always keep our ear to the ground when someone says something's free. Always keep our ear to the ground. And because nothing is free, there's no free lunch, we knew that someone was having to pay for it. So in this instance, not enough clicks, not enough signups for uh, credit cards, and therefore, shut it down. Now, what do I like? And it mentions... My The thing I like, it says YNAB was in here. Rocket Money and YNAB, two other popular budgeting apps, switched to these subscription models in 2016 and 2017. That's right. And they have newer companies in the space that I wasn't familiar with. So check them out. I, I probably will later. Monarch Money and Tiller. They charge subscription f- fees from the beginning. So when you pay for a service, you know who the customer is. Isn't that kind of nice? Knowing that you are the customer. It's not fun to pay for stuff, but at least you know there's transparency. that What you're paying for, you're getting. You aren't the product, right? It's the way Google works, right? You don't pay for Google. You are the product. You are, you are what Google sells to these companies. Your clicks, your eyeballs. So I recommend moving to something called Wineapp. Acronym, You Need a Budget. It is what I use. It's what many clients of the Robert Hunt Financial, financial uh, Advice Platform use. And it works. So go check it out. It does cost money, but that's all to the good because you know what you get, And then we're going to do a little 529 to Roth IRA rollover. This is actually, a looks like a Schwab article. Oh, wow, schwab.com. Okay. November, oh, wow, it came out a little earlier, November 9th. We're just bringing it into the present. The Secure 2.0 Act allows savers to roll unused 529 funds into the beneficiary's Roth IRA without a tax penalty. The article says that, that's not a reason to overfund 529s. What I want to do is just bring this to the fore. Not that you'll necessarily use it, um, but at least it lets you see all the options you have. So 529 plans, what are these? These are plans that you can save for your children's college education. All right. In states where there are state income taxes, you get a state income tax deduction. Texas does not have one, but I have clients in other states and they do receive... State income tax deductions for participating in these programs. So that's, I guess, good on the front end. On the back end, qualifying educational expenses are what must be used from these monies. So the money grows tax-free, admittedly, usually 18 years, because zero to 18 if you fund it when the child is born. And then you spend the money on those tuition or books or housing, whatever. They're, they list out a whole host of things you can do. I typically will have clients, the very last dollars they use being these 529 plans. Why? I just don't think they're that great for people in the state of Texas because we don't get a tax deduction on the front end. They're after-tax dollars. Brokerage accounts are pretty good. You're not saving that much on the taxes and you keep your flexibility. Now, for people that just have to or their grandparents are paying or there's an uncle that's generous, hint, hint. <clears throat> yeah, these are great. You can send in money, put it in a 529. But oftentimes, people will hesitate to fund these accounts for reasons I don't think are good, like Oh, well, what if I don't use the money my kid gets a full ride? Well, here's one wrinkle, one outlet. So what this Secure Act 2.0, I love these names, silly, silly, but Secure Act 2.0 says is you can use up to $35,000 of your 529 contribution for the kid. And there's some rules. You can't just do it in one year. You have to wait for like a decade or something. But these are really designed for those 529 plans that don't get used. You can take 6500 bucks a year. Throw it into a Roth IRA for that child. You guys know those Roth IRAs are just excellent, excellent savings vehicles, retirement vehicles. So long as the child has earned income in that year. Now, that was a lot. That was a mouthful, I recognize. But you just same Roth IRA rules. So Roth IRA monies have to come from earned income. But as you may know, let's say the child earns $6,500 doing whatever. Their dollars don't have to go in there. They just have to have that on a tax return. So you can donate your dollars into that vehicle and it works just fine. So be willing to have some flexibility, be open handed with these 529s. They've got this escape hatch called the Roth IRA. And the Roth IRA for kids, you can start them really early, really, really early. And the earlier the better because of compounding. So Look into this. If you have any heartburn at all on these 529s, it's something. But also, as I've said in the past, not a requirement that you front load these 529s. You just don't have to do it. And we have time. We have time to go into Robert's Corner. Oh, what a delight. Good job, class, being efficient with your time. I have been on a deep dive here in Robert's Corner on refrigerators. That's right. Here at the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update, we cut no corners and we spare no expense. Actually, we spare a couple expenses, but we cut no corners. The refrigerator was not cooling for two days. Called the repairman out. Repairman gives me the grim news. It's a four-figure four repair bill on a unit that he says may not last that long. I don't know. I can't tell anymore. I, it was definitely helpful for me to see what it feels like to not understand a marketplace. Many times, I can forget that when someone enters into the financial products marketplace and they're coming with a blank slate, it is incredibly overwhelming. I felt overwhelmed by the refrigerator marketplace. I didn't even know what kind of fridge I had. Didn't know. So I'm Googling and figure this out. Oh dear, I got to buy a new one. Oh, what did I learn? It was not so different from investing. Keeping, remember what we say? Keep the Cost low, keep your investing simple, keep your time horizon long. Clap, clap, clap. It, keeping that engineering simple is what's important on the refrigerator. As I was researching, they said, you know what kills these refrigerators? The ice machines and the water dispensers. The ice machines and the water dispensers. The ice machines and the water. The and the wa-. They are too complicated. And you know the refrigerators that work the longest? The simple top drawer freezer you see in people's garages they last forever. You know the fridges that don't last forever? They're really expensive built-ins that are not made by Sub-Zero. Those are the ones, and not made by True, those are the ones that can have trouble. You just have more moving parts. There's no intentionality on the part of the manufacturer as far as I can tell. But what's that analogy with investing? How can we take the landscape that I've discerned from these refrigerator companies and take it to investing? Well, first of all, sometimes it is the case you get what you pay for and sometimes it isn't. It's a little more complicated with refrigerators. With Sub-Zero and True, they really test the machines. They're really high quality. They'll last forever and they actually use fewer features. Aha! With your investing, you don't want a lot of features. You want plain vanilla index funds that are cheap. With your refrigerator, you want a plain vanilla refrigerator. Plain vanilla. You don't want any ice machine on the outside. You don't want any water to on the outside. With investing, you don't want any that doesn't need to be on there, which is why, and some of you may know this song, give me that old-time religion, give me that old-time religion, give me that old-time religion It's good enough for me. Well, give me that old-time investing. Give me that old-time investing. Give me that old-time refrigerator. They're good enough for me, okay? So the financial product marketplace is not going to keep, quote-unquote, innovating, so they say, for your benefit, Just like refrigerators. Refrigerators are putting screens on it. They got Wi-Fi connectivity. They got just a bunch of garbage that's going to break. And you want resilience. You want resiliency and permanence in your refrigerators and your investing. So be willing to go as simple as possible and high quality as possible. So what does that mean? That means, hey, I I want an index fund that's high quality, meaning low cost, with that expense ratio. Stood the test of time. Vanguard's got it. Many others have it as well. But be willing to keep it simple. Otherwise, you might end up with some spoiled food and some spoiled investments. So as always, keep your costs low, keep your investing simple, keep your time wise and low.